Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week in Film Tech with Charles Hayne for May 2nd, 2019. Where we cover just film, gear, tech stories every week, so that if you're too busy sitting in the edit suite or on set to pay attention to what is going on, here are the things that are going on in film tech that you should pay attention to. All right, the biggest story of the week is Pix buying Codex. If you don't know who Pix is, Pix is the top of the line online dailies platform, hands down. They are the, like, absolute creme de la creme, all of the big studio movies, all of the Netflix shows, they handle all the dailies. And digital dailies is a, a complicated business, and it is a big business. Is it something big companies will definitely pay for because you're getting a, a huge benefit out of having digital dailies? And digital dailies allow people back at the network, people at the studio, the director, the DP, everybody in the team to be able to review stuff and watch stuff, and Pix makes it... Very easy. You're watching it on your app. You're watching it on your laptop. You're like, there's a whole lot of things going on there that make it a really great solution. So, Pix is very dominant in that space. However, nobody stays dominant forever. Um, and I think Pix is seeing a couple threats on the horizon. And so, they're making a strategic move to acquire this company, Codex. Codex, if you don't know them, they are like the masters of online raw capture. So, for a long time, if you wanted to shoot raw on an Alexa, like if you were shooting on Alexa, you could shoot internal ProRes, no problem. But you wanted to shoot raw, you needed to use an external uh, recorder, almost always made by Codex. Uh, now there's like Codex technology. So, when you're shooting raw inside of it, it's Codex drives that are going inside the Alexa. You see similar things like Varicam. You wanted to do raw on a Varicam, there's a Codex thing that mounted to the back of your Varicam Pure. So, Codex is like the master of that like raw onset camera workflow. Now, Pix just bought Codex, which is super cool because what's almost inevitably going to happen is that Pix is going to start working to integrate Codex technology to make the step of digital dailies happening easier on crews. I don't know exactly what their plan is, but my suspicion is that they're going to integrate their technology such so that if you are using a Codex recorder or Codex technology in any way, it is automatically creating low-res metadata-matched proxies and then putting them on the PIX server in a much more integrated, fluid fashion so that it is just easier to do. Because it's kind of a hassle making digital dailies. It's getting easier all the time. It's way easier than it was 10 years ago. But as seamless as you can make that process, the happier everybody is going to be. And I think that PIX acquiring Codex is a way of PIX getting a hands-on onset capture and making that handoff from cameras on set to software that much easier. Now, why, right? Pix has been around a while. Codex has been around a while. I think the reason for this is that we're starting to see some threats on the horizon for other people bringing this workflow to the table in a way that's eventually going to threaten Pix's dominance in dailies. I think the biggest threat is Frame.io. If you watch any of my NAB videos, there was a Frame.io video where they had like a camera and they had a little box on the back and they mounted the camera to the box. And as you shot, it was automatically making low-res proxies, metadata matched. So everything matched, time code matched, shot name matched, like editable, can reconnect back to the RAWs. So you're getting your RAW on your camera, and you're getting this proxy that's over Wi-Fi, automatically going up to the web and appearing in Frame.io. Frame.io, if you don't know, it is a work-in-progress review tool that's very dominant in the end stages of review. You're sending out final like edits, trying to get people's notes. It's got really great notes, tool sets. It's got all of that stuff. They're moving on dailies. So if you're picks and you're seeing this, you have to figure out the ways in which you're going to protect your dailies business. And I think one of the ways they're doing that is this acquisition of Codex. I think we're going to see really rapid implementation of some sort of technology for them that's going to make this more sustainable because I think that they have to. I mean, come on, let's be real. I think it's a really smart move for them to do that. I think it's a really smart 
acquisition on Pix's part. I'm very excited to see implementation of these workflows. It's one of those cases, I mean, it's a good reminder that there is never a perfect business that lasts forever, right? Everybody's always like, well, I just want a business that like I can build and then not really watch. But that's not a thing. Like every business requires watching. Like Pix is super dominant and then Frame.io comes along and didn't really do dailies for a while and now is like, they're so good and work in progress. Now they're moving into dailies. I think it's uh, it's interesting to watch these things play out in business. And in the end, it's going to be good for all users, right? Like as these technologies develop, like if, you know, what Frame.io is doing becomes really common because Frame.io is also so directly integrated now into DaVinci Resolve 16 because Resolve 16 made this very smart choice, I think. Media Composer, Premiere, they're trying to build their own online tools. Resolve was always weaker in the online tools. And then Resolve 16, which just came out at NAB, really smartly was like, we're just going to integrate deeply with Frame.io. Frame.io is great with online tools and collaboration and servers and stuff like that. We're just going to integrate really closely with them. It's like deeply built into Resolve 16, where Frame.io shows up as a drive and notes travel back and forth really seamlessly. It's like a really slick integration. Um, And so if you have that... And then you've got that box on set automatically making your dailies. And then you have your editor in post and it's going up to the Frame.io server and then down into the Resolve project sort of seamlessly, painlessly. You're not even pushing buttons. It's just happening automatically. You're seeing a real speed up of that set to post workflow happening through those things coming together. And I think that's going to really take off for certain kinds of production. And I think we're going to see something like that coming out of the PIX codex relationship. Um, so, yeah. Super cool news. The second news story this week is Relio, which is a small Italian lighting company, has come out with the Relio 2. It's an LED cube light. And you're wondering, like, why? Why are we talking about a tiny LED cube light? We're really, we want power. We want to hear about the IntelliTech. We want to hear about the 20K mole. We want to hear about, you know, um, the Aperture 300D Mark II. All fun things. I've never actually shot with the 20K mole. I hope to at some point. I like punchy LEDs. Cube lights like tiny little, you know, three inch by three inch squares that you can stick in corners are not usually something we talk about here, but the fun thing about Relia 2 is that they've gone full nerd. So TLCI is the measurement of color accuracy for a light. It's not perfect. None of them are perfect. CRI was the old one. Uh, TLCI is a newer one. None of them are actually perfect, but you know, you're always, it's a one to 100 scale. You're always trying to get as close to hundred as you can. And uh, the new Relia 2 is 98 TLCI. But what's fun about it is you can load a LUT into it to calibrate it to 100 TLCI. Now, I'm almost 100% sure you're going to lose a little punch. You're probably going to lose 2 to 3% of your output, which, fair. But 100 TLCI is like a very fun thing in terms of color accuracy. What you're looking for from that TLCI is you're looking that the light looks at the thing and reproduces it accurately. So color is accurately reproduced under that spectrum of light. Because we've all had that scenario where you're walking outside and you look over at a friend and you're under some weird street lamp and they look like a corpse, right? Different lights can make different colors not look accurate. You're looking for light that gives you very accurate results, and the Relio 2 is going to do that, which is super cool. On top of that, in terms of full nerd stuff, they are also doing a red, a green, and a blue LED, and each one of these is just a single wavelength of light, which is super exciting. Now, it's mostly exciting for deep camera nerds, right? Like when I'm reviewing a camera, the ability to see what the noise looks like in red, what the noise looks like in green, what the noise looks like in blue, because remember, each of those lights is a different wavelength, and because they're all a different wavelength, Once you're starting to get into the point where the wavelength of the light is what's creating the noise, what we call shot noise, S-C-H-O-T-T, you're going to get different noise out of different wavelengths of light. Uh, And, you know, I've tested this in the past in very high ISO cameras like the Vericam, but I've always tested it with like the Hive RGB and I've tried to dial in a single wavelength. Whereas with this Relio RGB kit, you can just literally turn on only that wavelength of light and nothing else. Now, 
I'm talking to Relio. I'm hope I'm going to get to spend a week or two with these lights this summer. In which case, I want to try and figure out like cool things to shoot with that. So if you have cinematography ideas for like, ooh, if I had only red wavelength light or only blue wavelength light, I would do this thing where I would like build a prop that was like the other kind of the wavelength or whatever, and it would move out of the lights and it would change. Whatever your idea is, I'm curious because I'm trying to figure out. I mean, that's my idea actually. Is that I'll have shafts of each of the lights, and as the prop moves through them, it'll look wildly different. I don't know what you would use it for in a real thing, but that's why we do tests. But if you have ideas for what to do with a red, a green, and a blue LED, which I'm going to be playing with, I think, at some point this summer for a week or two, hit me up on the Twitter at Charles Hain uh, or the Facebook or the YouTubes or any of the places where there are messages, and I will see if I can integrate that in the tests. Cause I'm very, I just like the nerd stuff. And what happens with the nerd stuff is the nerd stuff, like the first RGB units weren't very powerful, right? The first LEDs weren't very powerful. So, yes, the Relio 2 is a cube light. You're you're probably not going to be lighting your entire production with it. Although you might. They're pretty punchy. But this nerd stuff comes out here, and then the nerd stuff trickles up to the more powerful units. So I'm excited about the Relio 2. I think it is super cool. And then the final story of this week is... Real-time playback on affordable video cards for Red Raws here. This is actually really big. So Red Raw files, if you've never worked with a Red Raw file, .r3d files are raw files, which gives you access to a lot more of the raw sensor information unprocessed. But because it's not being processed by the camera, you need to do more of the processing in post-production, right? And... CPUs, the central processing unit, is not great at this processing. You really want GPU power to do this processing. Red, for a long time, made these special cards called Red Rockets, which were like 5000 or then there was a Red Rocket X that was $6,500, that would give you real-time playback of high-res red media. You had to pay the money for it, but if you were working a lot with red, it was totally worth it. If you were doing dailies, all that kind of stuff, uh, it was totally beneficial because those files were very difficult for your computer to process. What's funny about it is that oftentimes you would transcode it to a format like ProRes, which would be easier to process even though the files were larger. So it's one of those things that, like, until you sort of really get used to it, it seems like, all right, well, small files will be easier and big files will be harder, but it's actually about how much work the software has to do to unpack the file because of the way in which R3D files are compressed, right? Because it's raw media, so they have to do all the image processing, and it's compressed raw media. They use JPEG 2000 compression. It's a lot of work for the processor to do it in post-production in a way where, you know, it's already been processed into images with ProRes, and it's compressed, but it's not inter-frame compressed. It's just intra-frame compressed. So you get much more... It's just easier on the CPU to work in something like ProRes or DNX or Cineform than it ever is to work with something raw like R3D. RED cameras, in addition, keep getting more and more powerful, right? Like the original RED Rocket, $5,000 to give you real-time 4K RED RAW playback. And then I think you got 6K out of the RED Rocket X. But there was nothing really giving you real-time 8K RED RAW playback. We've had 8K RED cameras for a couple of years, but there was nothing playing them back. And so RED, rather than making yet another card, uh, worked with NVIDIA really closely and built software can collaborating with NVIDIA. They built an SDK that allows for real time playback of 8k R3D red files on NVIDIA cards, which is super exciting. Now, all of you Apple owners are super annoyed because Apple when AMD 2014, I think 2013 was the last time you would see an NVIDIA card in a Mac, the 2013, uh, 15-inch MacBook Pro Retina had an NVIDIA. But other than that, everything has been AMD. And AMD doesn't have 
this technology, doesn't have this integration. PC fans going to be super excited because you guys can put a full-size NVIDIA GPU in your box. Um, this is also a real reason to use an external GPU. Unfortunately, the Blackmagic eGPU is AMD cards. It is not NVIDIA, but you can use like a external thing like a Bison box or a Sonnet or something like that and stick in an NVIDIA card. It's really designed for things like the NVIDIA Titan and more expensive, pricier cards that have more horsepower. But they are saying that with this SDK, you're going to see benefits on your Red Raw playback, even on lower end cards, GTX cards, stuff like that. So even cards we can afford, even cards in the thousand dollar range are going to show huge improvements in Red Raw playback. So previously, you know, you've got a Red Raw file, you're bringing it in 8K, you turn it into like eighth res good in order to be able to play it back. And now you're going to be able to play it at half res good. That half res good is going to be 4K and on most monitors, you're not going to see a huge difference between 4K and 8K until you start zooming in. Now, if you want to spend the money, you can get the more powerful card. Also, it doesn't seem likely that we're going to go beyond 8K with red in the next year or two. And in two years, these cards that are like $4,000 now will be down to 2000 One of the frustrating things about the film industry is prices don't drop as rapidly as they do in normal tech. And Alexa did not drop in price in half in two years. But because... You know, graphics cards aren't built for the film industry. Graphics cards are built for video gamers. New ones keep coming out all the time. There's like a constant progression of them. And that constant progression of them means prices keep getting better and better. So you might not be able to buy a card today, depending upon your budget, that's going to give you that 8K NVIDIA playback. But in two years, you might be able to afford a card that's going to give you 8 to 8K real-time, painless, uh, amazing playback. Right now, it's just supported in Red Cine X. Uh, so the newest version of Red Cine X supports this NVIDIA technology. So if you've got an NVIDIA CUDA card, you should totally get this new version of Red Cine X. If you don't have that, the SDK is now open, and I think we're going to start to see other, I'm sure Assimilate Scratch will integrate it first because they're Assimilate Scratch. I think we're going to start to see the technology rollout in some other platforms soon. So presumably, like if Media Composer picked it up, you're going to get real-time R3D Red playback out of your Media Composer, which would be super exciting for Media Composer users because it's that's a software that's never really integrated these kind of things. Like you, it really wants you to transcode to MXF files. So it'd be really interesting to see if we start to see this like technology that Redis developed with NVIDIA roll out into other software platforms. I think we can also reasonably assume like Resolve will integrate it pretty quickly. Although I wonder if they're going to wait on the full release of 16 in August. All right. So those are the big tech stories this week. As always, you should subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. We're on YouTube and Stitcher and iTunes and all of those places. Overcast, hopefully, is going to pick us up. Facebook is at OnRecky. Instagram's OnRecky, or you can just follow me, Charles Hain. Uh, Twitter's Charles Hain. If you've got questions, feel free to reach out. And I will always answer your tech questions. And I will see you guys next week. This has been Charles Hain for the Week in Film Tech, May 2nd, 2019.